Hey everyone, this is Britt Lightning from Vixen and Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, and you're listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast with Robert Miller. Everyone has a dream. Robert Miller is a musician who had a dream to become a rock star. He followed his dream and he succeeded. If you're ready to pursue and succeed at your dream, then listen up and get inspired and motivated to take action today. Welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Follow Your Dream podcast. I am Robert Miller, your host. My guest today on this episode is David Fischoff, who is the creator of the Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, which he began in 1977 after years of working with people like Ringo Starr, Roger Daltrey, Joe Walsh, Jack Bruce, and others producing numerous tours. The camp allows ordinary wannabe musicians to meet and jam with their heroes in legendary venues like London's Abbey Road Studios. There's even a documentary called Rock Camp about his venture. And at least three of my guests on this podcast, Mark Farner, Lee Sklar, and Felix Cavalier, have participated in the camps from time to time. And as you know, I like to feature one of my songs underneath the introduction and at the end of each episode. And I always try to make the songs relevant to my guest, or at least the subject matter. And the featured song in this episode is called Heaven from my solo album, Summer of Love 2020, that I recorded during the pandemic. Why did I choose this song? Well, I'd be in heaven personally if I got to play with all the musicians that David has had in his rock and roll fantasy camps. So David Fischoff, welcome to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Robert, thanks so much for having me. And I love the uh, Mark Farner and, and Phyllis Cavallari. I mean, you're talking about two of my dearest friends and uh, two people who I started my career with early on in my music career and just love to see those guys to flourish. One of the great things about doing this podcast is that I get to interview heroes of mine from when I was growing up. You know, these guys were, they were the it guys when I was growing up and learning music. Still are, still my heroes. I mean, yep. uh, Phyllis Cavallari is just, uh, I, you know, I, when I go to Nashville, I just call them up and I say, Felix, let's grab lunch. And, you know, we, we, we grab lunch. Just we're friends. We're sports fans. Uh, so we love to talk sports. And, uh, you know, it's interesting with Felix. Uh, one of my favorite stories about Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is a camper was uh, was playing the B Hammond, the, the, the Hammond that he Hammond always plays. B3. Hammond B3. And right. um, he was having difficulties. He was trying to do a, a, a song, Good Loving. A friend walks by. He was at camp. He he managed uh, Joe Walsh at the time, a guy named David Spiro. And he sees the, the camper having difficulties with the song. So he says, hold on one second. Let me call Felix Cavallari. <laughs> he gets Felix on the phone. And for a half hour, Felix was teaching this gentleman, Fred Dawson, how to play the song. I mean, that's so cool. He just took a phone call. And the next thing you know, this they, they 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 connect. They become very close friends, Fred and Felix, and um, all the relationships that happen at Rock and Roll Fans Camp are just amazing. But that was Felix. He's such a giving guy, and I also remember that when you know Felix, I put all four rascals together, 
And I had them all signed on the contract. I never did it. Steve Van Zandt, he did it. But uh, Felix and I were good friends. And he one day calls me up. He says, so I need you to uh, meet my bookkeeper's son. His name is George Ratajkowski, sixth-round draft pick from the Rams. The L.A. Rams drafted him. It was his bookkeeper's son. So I represented him. And I got him as a client. So Felix is special. And Mark Farner. I mean, we, you and I, we spent hours. But Mark Farner and I, you know, he hired me to bring when they were doing grand funk and reuniting i i i uh, managed the band for a short time and i did some symphonic records with them with an orchestra and um oh mark farn is so special such a special guy and what a talent i i will tell you that i and now you can quote me on this he's probably one of the top five greatest rock front men in rock and roll oh. no one can can take what he did three guys sell out Shea Stadium and entertain an audience better the way he jumps around stage <laughs> then maybe there's Mick there's Roger Daltrey uh, you know and, and there's two other great guys but uh, you know Mark Farner is up there with them all he's one of those guys you're right and he tells the story on the podcast about that whole Shea Stadium thing and the part that I liked the best, okay, was that he said, you know, this was pre-internet. So nobody could go online to order the tickets. They had to show up at Shea Stadium. He said, we had 55,000 people show up to buy tickets. And that was that one sign that they had on, on 52nd Street. I don't know if he talked about the, that was, that's what did it too. They, they put up a sign, a, a billboard. And um, yeah, Mark Farner, I'm telling you that, and I love talent and, and Mark's in my movie. He is probably one of my favorite, favorite rock stars. And I've been to Japan with him. I've traveled the world with him. He's quite a talent yeah. and a great human being. I agree with you completely. All right. So go back a little bit. How'd you get into this crazy business, huh? Starting the Catskills, you know, the Catskill <laughs> Mountains. I was, uh, well, my brother had a, a band and uh, I was a waiter at a place called the Lake House. It was a hotel in Woodridge. And um, I started up there and, and I saw these comedians. I'd watch the shows every night and uh, I love show business. Wanted to be in my brother's band, but, you know, I wasn't good enough. And uh, so my dad said, why don't you book the band and you can book six bands a night. Don't don't try to be a musician. So I went and I booked my brother's band. I booked my gross singers and I would go out every night and watch after I finished doing my my waiting job and as a waiter and i would go see ben harris larry best i'd go see all these mousy lawrence and i was crazy about watching these shows every night i'd sneak into the raleigh and to the pioneer you name the hotel and i just loved it and and that's where i started the catskills booking mm -hmm. artists it was a wonderful training ground you know i worked two summers up in the catskills i where? played in the rock band at the Gilbert's Hotel. Gilbert's Choice. And then I was there. I elevated the next year. I was in the show band at the Olympic Hotel. That was yeah. the year of Woodstock. Yeah. Wow. So, and you're right. I mean, it was an amazing era, this whole Catskills thing. For anybody that's not from the New York area, we're talking about the Catskill Mountains in kind of upper New York State, about two hours from Manhattan had all these great hotels. All the hotels had amazing talent every single night. When I was in the show band, we had a comedian and a singer every, every night. single night, and they'd make the rounds. But but what made it more difficult, as you have to tell the audience, is that people got fed three meals a day, and as a waiter, they could eat whatever they want. And these right. people would come in, and they would stuff themselves 
they would stuff that they, they would they, they would just eat as much as they could for that whole week they were there and you know by the end of the week they were rolling down they were rolling home and we as the waiters used to feed them like crazy you know they'd want a side of steak they'd want a side of a chicken side of a cow you know they just ate and ate it's just not, not, a, not a whole thing a side like mal lawrence used to say See, the cruise ships figured this out, okay? Yeah. They adopted the whole thing from they the Catskills. They adopted the Catskills, yeah. <laughs> now, these entertainers at 10.30 at night had to get up there and entertain. So, you know, you, the singer got up there and, she, you know, he or she would do about 25, 30 minutes, right? And then the comic would come out at 11 o'clock at night. Now, these people were stuffed, so they were afraid to laugh because the whole meal would come out, right. all three meals. So they had to really make these people laugh. And the people would look up to them at the comedians and they say, OK, I dare you to make me laugh. I didn't pay for this ticket. I'm sitting here anyways, so I don't have to laugh. I dare you to make me laugh. Now, these guys had to come up with shtick. And I mean shtick. They had to come up with stuff to make people laugh. So one of my favorite was Larry Best. He opened up his show with a bunch of uh, all of a sudden the chiclets would come out of his mouth. You know, and he would say, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I, I just came from the dentist. You know, I mean, it was just all my teeth were falling. The funny stuff that these comics had to come up with. So now, all of a sudden, Tom Jones goes on the road. Engelbert Humperdinck goes on the road. And they would take these comedians. And these guys got so many laughs, like Freddie Roman, because they knew how to entertain an audience that didn't pay. So now right. they're in front of an audience that paid, and they would kill it. It was a tough audience, and all the greats in comedy got started in the Catskills, okay? Sure did. From Woody Allen on down. I mean, they all worked there. Richard Belzer. I mean, they're all, David yeah. Brenner. They all, had, you had to go to the Catskills first to get a lesson in show business. It was a great training ground. There's no question about it. Okay, so you were booking your bands, and you're booking your brother's band, but you, you elevated from there, okay? How did you get into the rock star business? So then what happened was I, I picked up a client named Herschel Bernardi. I was writing a uh, for the newspaper, the Jewish Press. I picked him up as a client. I started booking him. This before or after Fiddler on the Roof? This is after Fiddler on the Roof on Broadway, but he's did it so many times since then. Okay. Um, and I was doing Herschel, and I was booking him around. And I was writing for the, the Jewish press in, the, in, the, in New York City. And I was doing stories about Jewish artists and athletes. And I, I met Elliot Maddox, the center fielder for the Yankees, started booking him on appearances in the Catskills, um, and then started representing ballplayers and picked up Lou Pinella as a client. And from there, I, I met um, Phil Sims and Vince Ferragamo. I started representing a lot of ballplayers. And I was doing ballplayers for many years. I, you know, you said to me earlier, you were a Giants fan. You know, in 85, 80, 84, 85, 86, 87. I mean, those those great years. Those were the years. I, re I represented the whole offensive line, uh, except Art Oates. That's when they had an offensive line. Yeah, okay. I had Bavaro, I had Benson, I had Art, I had uh, Godfrey. <laughs> I had. I was representing Phil McConkie, Jim Burt, Phil Sims. I should have known you back then. I could have gotten better seats, I think. Yeah, probably. No, no, no. That's the funniest <laughs> thing. I remember I remember trying asking George Young, can I get a season ticket? You know, and it was impossible. You know, finally I got one. I was up on the roof, you know. So yeah, no, no one could get it. Even I had eight members of the team, I couldn't even get a good ticket. <laughs> so uh, but anyways, then I became the sports agent and I was doing really well and book represent a lot of ball players. So why'd you get out of that? That would that was that's a very lucrative area, isn't well, it? Well, if you saw if you saw my movie, I tell the story that whether it's like, yes, it was lucrative, but I really got bored. You know, once these guys started retiring, 
Um, and I, I, uh, I, I got bored because, you know, the problem with, with sports was show me the money. You know, you negotiate these contracts. And while I was having such a great experience with, those, with that 87, 80 Giants team and all those guys, they were just, to this day, still great friends. Um, I got bored. And uh, one day I got a phone call and someone asked me if I wanted to represent the association. And I took on the, the, the band. The, I said the association of what I took on the band okay. and started packaging tours with the turtles and the grassroots. And I found that music packaging just more fun, more entertaining. Uh, then I did Dirty Dancing as a live tour. Uh, and then I came up with a concept of taking Ringo out on an all star band. And I created that idea. And I went to Ringo and um, I did it for 15 years and got married, wanted to have more kids and uh, no more road for me um so i focused on on the rock and roll fantasy camp and and uh but that was really my start well listen go go back to ringo for a second i mean look those tours were legendary you, you put together some wonderful combinations of artists and you know he, I, what i loved about it was it was ringo okay everybody wanted to see ringo but he was very charitable in terms of the way he would feature other artists and way he put the, those bands together and, and the songs that they perform. So, and, and that's why it's lasted. And it's why he's lasted 30 years with it. Uh, Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp is now in its 27th year. I learned so much from Ringo. I mean, you know, basically when it came to interviews, I'd go to him and he'd say, no, give it to Nils, give it to Joe Walsh. He always wanted to feature everybody. And it was really an amazing experience uh, to be around him and all these amazing rockers. But uh, I like Joe Walsh's line. He said one day, he said, you know, this, we're a democratic band. Whatever Ringo says we do. So um, you really see a lot. You can learn a lot from his greatness. And um, it was an amazing experience, 15 years. And I put together some great bands. I mean, I really had fun doing it. A lot of work from Jack Bruce to Peter Frampton um we had some super bands billy preston and it just goes on and on and on all right so then you got married or you wanted to stay at home and you decided what am i going to do now i'm not right. going to go back to the catskills because there isn't catskills anymore and you decided on this fantasy camp idea which was brilliant tell us how that began so i you know i i did one it wasn't successful the first one i didn't and about 26 years ago i came up with this idea i'm going to try it I did in Florida. Wait, wait and, a minute. Who was who was in your first camp? Okay, my first camp was was amazing. It was uh, I called everybody I knew: Mike Love, Mark Farner, Phyllis Cavallari. I mean, Bill Lofgren, Clarence. And it wasn't successful with those guys. I couldn't sell. I sold very little spot, you know, because people didn't understand what it was about. Right. And but what happened was I I, I did get 40, 40 members of the media who came, the press, <laughs> and they wrote such amazing stories about the camp. I remember we did the first one, Eden Rock, and I uh, walked into the lobby, and I had more press than I had campers. And um, I walk into the lobby, and, and, and they're all sitting around, and they said, Fisher, we were going to burn you, but this is a great idea. We're having so much fun. And they all wrote amazing stories, but I lost so much money. I wasn't going to do that again. So I five years later, you know, I was still touring with Ringo's bands. And and then uh, one day um, I got a call from VH1 Classic, a gentleman named Eric Sherman. He says, we love your camp and, um, you know, we'd love to do it. And that, and that same week, I went to a Polestar convention, in which is our convention where promoters and agents go to, you know, talk about the industry. 
still goes on to this day. And they were playing a game with Sammy Hager, Tommy Lee, and Tommy Shaw of Sticks. And they said, who created Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp? David Bowie, David Byrne, David Fischoff. And all of a sudden, Sammy Hager yells out, David Fischoff. I said, these guys, remember, I did this camp. So I decided to do it again. And I called Brett Michaels. I called George Thorogood. Everybody who I met backstage at a Ringo show where I knew. And they said, hey, we'll try it. And um, they did it. And then I went over to England to see Roger Daltrey. And uh, I, I convinced Roger um, one night to, to do the camp. And, and he didn't understand the word camp because the camp in, in England is not what camp means here. Right. And uh, so, so he says to me, I, I don't understand. What's a camp? You know, because we went to Jewish day camp. We went to Jewish <laughs> camps overnight. So I said to him, let me ask a question. If you had one person that you could jam with and that you could have fun and, and, and play with, who would you want to do that? Who would you want to meet? He says, Levon Helm. He says, you introduced me to Levon Helm. I'll do your rock and roll fantasy camp. And I said, sure. And I remember turning to him and saying, you know, I just blurted out, you know, uh, you know, Levon's not doing great and the financial issues. And he says, don't worry about it. Whatever you give him, whatever you give me, give it to him. I want to meet him. I get what you're doing. He Isn't flew cool? into New York, Roger, and he did the camp. And then he had, he had, he had a lot of fun. And then he turned to me and said, one of these bands playing next? I said, they're playing the bottom line tomorrow night. He said, I want to jam with them. <laughs> and once he did it, all of a sudden, then I got uh, Brian Wilson, and he really helped me set it up. And, and it, it's been great. You know, So the floodgates opened, huh? Floodgates opened. You know, I, I always wanted to know whether you had like compromising pictures of these guys where you were offering Everyone. them a fortune, you know, what was it that you were able to get these guys with? Well, that's a great question because, you know, no one back then, none of these rockers ever met people. This was before the meet and greet eras. Um, you know, and everyone was, we said that I have pictures, you know, I, I think what it was that it, when, when they did come, like when Roger came, he had such a great experience because it reminded him what, and he says this in the movie, what, what it was like to be when he first started. And I think they all got that when they came to camp and they realized that, you know, I was one of them. I just got lucky. And they saw these people and they they just, you know, it, it's not a meet and greet. They're musicians like they were. So they, 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 felt, they had empathy for these people. And then they saw how much they were working. Hey, everybody. My Follow Your Dream handbook is an Amazon number one bestseller. It's a combination memoir of my unique musical journey and a step-by-step how-to for you to follow and succeed at your dream. It's available at Amazon and wherever books are sold. Check it out today. You know, I saw The Who early on. The first time I saw them was at a Murray the K show in New York City. I've talked about this on the podcast before. There were two bands at the very bottom of the bill, okay? The opening acts on the for the bill. One was Cream and the other was The Who, okay? And the next time I saw The Who was in the Catskills, okay? They Where? Played, I think What's it was up? at Brown's Hotel. No! Are you serious? <laughs> I kid you not. Oh, wow. That's a piece of trivia. And I wow. just told this story again, but the next time I saw, or one of the next times I saw them, they had a guy named Miles Davis opening for them at the Fillmore East. Okay. And I remember because I went to see Miles and this was when Miles was in his bitches brew, you know, jazz fusion era. And of course, the, the place was packed with kids that didn't know who Miles Davis was. 
they were there for the who but it was a great experience because both bands miles and the who were able to kind of exchange audiences if you will and promoters just don't do that anymore they no. put these homogenous shows together it drives me nuts well you have to you know unfortunately when i did rock camp at the beginning i i would also i'd put a, a the who with with a grand funk and i'd mix it up but mix and match it but i wasn't doing that many camps but then it, 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 people want their value they want to see the same bands like the weezer tour and fallout boy that just went out and you know, you, you got you got to put those things together. That's just the way they want it. But you know, if if you see the movie, and um, uh, because that's really what I'd I'd love to share with the audience, Rock Camp the movie. You know, and and it's available on Amazon and Apple, and it's on our website, RockCamp.com. You will see the diversity of musicians from the, well, from the Zach um, Zach Wild to black you know black sabbath to i like to combine the two things but i find that it's hard to do it it's hard to do it but you know but i would say that all these musicians that i've gotten they've all had an amazing experience and i i think they you know some have complained that they work too hard as you'll see in the movie <laughs> savvy Egg is that this is hard work but in the end i think you'll see in the film they they go through a life-changing experience themselves all right, I'm going to ask you the same question that you asked to Roger Daltrey. Who's the one guy that you would love to get that you haven't gotten yet? It's Paul McCartney. I mean, you know, Mick and Keith, they did uh, they did the Simpsons episode of Rock and Roll Fantasy Camp, but, uh, you know, and I'm a huge fan, but I, I Paul McCartney. I mean, to me, he's he's the king, you know, and, and uh, I can't wait for the new film to come out. And uh, but McCartney, McCartney's the guy. All right. Well, if you get him, let me know because I'll be at that camp. I, I promise you. Know, I, you. <laughs> I made an offer to Eric, I made an offer to Eric Clapton. I offered him a million dollars to come to a rock camp. I said, "Listen, I'll find you a hundred guys that will and women who will pay ten thousand dollars each to jam with you, and then you can give the money to your charity." Right. So he'd be another great one for me. He turned you down though, huh? Didn't get an answer. Ah, too so, bad. Too bad. Yeah, it would be great if you had him. Well, this is, you know, listen, the idea is terrific, okay, because these people are all heroes to the folks that you have coming out to these camps. And the, the idea that you can actually meet these folks and play with them is spectacular. Well, that's what your podcast is about. You know, you can live the dream and, and you know, live your dream. And I think that's one great thing that what's great about the rock camp is that these rockers who come – they don't, they stay for hours, you know, I, I mean, I tell them, I told Slash to come for two, three hours and jam. He stayed for 12 and he jammed an hour with each band because, you know, for them, it's once they're there, you know, there's no time limit. It's about the music. And what's exciting about the, the camp is that, you know, these artists don't have to do this. They do it because they love music and they love, you know, I mean, my favorite was Nick Mason from Pink Floyd. I mean, there's no one. He's probably the one of the wealthiest musicians out there and the guy owns cars, planes. He's just so wealthy. And he stayed for four days. He says, I never get a chance to play uh, a monkey song with Mickey Dolan's. You know? <laughs> it was so much fun. And, you know, I find that with, with, with these artists, once they come, they really have an amazing experience. I mean, I'm excited about Joe Perry. He's coming back in March. This will be his fourth camp. Uh, I want you to tell Joe Perry the following story. Okay. I went to Boston university in my undergraduate and every day in front of the student union, they used to have some local band that would play for about a half an hour. 
And one day I remember this band called Aerosmith playing for free in front of the student union. That was a hundred years ago. He probably doesn't remember it, but tell him I remember. He it, probably okay? does. You know, Joe's a great guy. You know, <laughs> he's, he's one of the most loyal guys in the world, but I tell you, Joe Perry, he came at the camp once and he really changed my mind. He asked the guy, what do you do for a living? The guy says, I'm a lawyer. And he says, on weekends, I play guitar with my band. And Joe said, you're full of shit. He says, you you do that legal stuff to play to pay for your guitars. <laughs> you're a That's musician exactly first. Right. Musicians are musicians first. Yeah, he's right about that. And, you know, all of these guys, I learned this from the podcast and from my own experience. Everybody started out in their teenage years playing in cover bands. OK, because that's what yeah. you did. You played other people's music and uh, you learned what was on the radio and you learned what was happening at that time. And that's how you, you started and you jammed and you gigs, learned yeah. and you got better. And of course, then they went on to all different things that they uh, finally achieved. But it's kind of like them getting back to their roots when they can go back and just jam and play covers. Play covers. They play their own songs. They help people. I'm doing a, I'm excited about a woman's only camp um, that I'm doing January 27th and the 30th in, in Los Angeles, the Grammy weekend. Was Melissa Etheridge, Nancy Wilson, Kathy Valentine, the Go Go's, who just went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I mean, we're doing diversified camps so that women could come and, and they could feel as comfortable coming to jam with with um, these artists. And it's so much fun. I mean, camp is four days. It's Tony Robbins said said it best. If you want to really get into your music and you want to go through a life changing experience, you got to immerse yourself. And and people do they. I make them go from 10 to 10 o'clock at night. Their hands, they're tired. There's no question. You're tired. Their hands hurt at the end from their fingers plucking that guitar, as you know. Yep. But um, in the end, they go through this life-changing experience and they find passion in, in the music. They find passion playing in bands, writing songs. And there's nothing like, you know, finding your passion, finding your dream. I think that that's fantastic. We have been speaking here with David Fishoff, who is the creator and producer and major domo of the rock and roll fantasy camp experience. And you've got stuff going on all around the world. Uh, if you go on his website, you'll see that he's got several of these things that are planned into next year. I congratulate you on putting all of this together. I mean, it's just remarkable. And the fact that you've you got all of these great artists to participate Again, there's, you got some mojo going that you were able to get this done. Well, it's the people. It's, it's, you know, it's the campers that come. I think, they, I think what's also very interesting for the rock stars, they make great pals with the campers. They never used to see, you know, in rock and roll, you know, even with Ringo, we toured 15 years. I had to be on that bus before the last song was out. We never met people. You know, we were on to the next city, fly the next plane. Every one of these artists, Mara Smith on down, they they never met people. They were they were you know you have to run out of those venues to make the plane to get to the next city, and uh, unlike the country artists, you know who co go travel buses and they hug their people and they love them and they're around them all day. They let them on their bus. And rockers ran out the door, so uh, you know for them to finally meet these lawyers and these doctors and these business school teachers and these and these housewives and people who you know play their music. I think it's been a great, they made a, many of them, they've all made best friends um, at camp. I mean, Stephen Tyler's best friend is one of my campers. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I, even Roger Daltrey, he's, he, you know, we had one camper who 
We gave him $250,000 to jam a song for his charity. I mean, you know, Roger met the guy at camp. And, and uh, so the people that come to camp, they're not all wealthy, but they're, you know, it's anybody can come and we'll put you in a band that, that whether it's a beginner band or intermediate band or an advanced band, but each band is mentored by a rock star counselor. You mm-hmm. will have the most incredible experience. Fantastic. So if you want to become a pen pal to Roger Daltrey or any of these guys, you got to get to the rock and roll fantasy camp. David, I want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. This was just an awesome experience. Thank you so much for having me. God bless you. We're going to listen now again to the song that I featured underneath the introduction. And we do this again at the end of each episode. This is my song called Heaven from Summer of Love 2020. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Follow Your Dream podcast. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast so you don't miss another inspiring episode. You can connect with Robert at robert at followyourdreampodcast.com. And you can hear more from his band at projectgrandslam.com and at thepgsstore.com. I floated up a